0: Happy Wednesday evening. Got a lot to talk about here as the Raptors with a a thorough and decisive victory uh, over Golden State, 123 to 109. And certainly there'll be talk about the Warriors being out of bodies on the offensive end and stuff being uh, the only engine of what they were doing and that's all true but the Warriors basically have had the same offensive performance every night in this series in fact they've scored 109 points in every game a little bit faster pace uh, in this one but to me uh, the real story was just how effective uh, the Raptors were uh, offensively uh, how awesome their shooting was uh, in this game especially from downtown and especially from Kyle Lowry and Danny and how nearly utterly ineffective other than about a six minute stretch in the second quarter the Warriors defense was
1: yeah I mean the first quarter shot chart from the Raptors I think says a lot of it so they were they scored 36 points in that quarter and really it took a crazy effort from Curry to keep it even slightly close during that stretch three of four in the restricted area they also hit a bunch of floaters but they were from what I recall pretty clean looks from that range it was just that they weren't all the way at the basket and then three of five on corner threes which were overwhelmingly wide open and that's what's started getting danny green hot he was three for four from three in that stretch and then he ended the game yeah. all of those six were four and threes by the way yes in they the were first half, yeah yeah and so he ended it six for ten all of his shots were threes 18 points on those six for ten from three and yeah the raptors were getting really good looks and the wh- whether it's i mean i one way of describing this that i've said is the the warriors typically have a critical mass of intelligent defenders and so that they have enough of it that they can cover over the weak points and without clay thompson without with rant and i mean demarcus cousins was a pretty significant defensive negative in this game they just weren't at that level and the raptors did a fantastic job of capitalizing on those seams that were that that existed creating seams and then maximizing them and getting great looks out of it
0: and it was really interesting because very early in the game the raptors were really feasting at the rim and pascal siakam had 14 points on six of eight in the first about 14 minutes or so of the game and he actually only ended up scoring only four points uh, the rest of the way but what he was able to do on the interior uh, I thought was big because they had Draymond starting Kawhi they started off there and with Iguodala on Siakam Siakam scored a couple of times uh, on Iguodala was able to avoid getting stripped to get into good position and by putting green on Leonard I can't remember very many plays where Leonard actually scored on Draymond directly but that really just took Draymond out of help position uh, which was a, a big problem for golden state because they're getting killed at the rim cousins also was completely ineffective protecting the rim and also his mobility just uh, was not there in this game either but because i think of that interior game that led to then golden state reacting to take that away and as it turned out the raptors only finished 10 out of 15 at the rim overall but they got up 17 of 38 three-pointers and shot 13 corner threes which is four more than the league leaders Denver, or league trailers, I guess you'd say worse than the league, gave up in terms of number of corner threes. And... I thought the Raptors were fantastic getting to the basket and once the Warriors then had to start helping their passing game was outstanding to get a lot of open threes and this is a team who shot near the top of the league once they acquired Marcus Gasol and perhaps we discounted their shooting a little bit because they just struggled in that Philly series but against Milwaukee and against this Warriors team, they have a lot of good shooters on this team who were knocking them down Lowry, Danny Green and those are solid 40% three-point shooters and they were getting wide open looks off that Raptors ball move
1: yeah I I wouldn't have keyed on this except thanks to Dan Feldman for pointing it out and it ended up being true at the end of the game you pointed out earlier this was a 50 40 90 game for the Raptors in an NBA final you know they were they were 43 of 82 from from the field as you said above 40 percent for three and they were 20 of 21 on free throws as well so this was a, a remarkably efficient game you could also if you want to go to offensive rating 127 offensive rating for them 67 percent true shooting which is phenomenal and They they did a lot right on that end, and the Warriors. You know, one of the reminders of their their limited defensive personnel was that when Quinn Cook, who I thought there was a chance that he was going to start instead of Clay Thompson, I mean start in Clay Thompson's stead instead of Sean Livingston, and but it was a reminder of Cook's limitations because when he came in the game, despite Steph Curry having this crazy offensive workload, he's shot five of or sorry, nine of the team's first thirteen shots, I believe, and he assisted on all uh, may scored or assisted on all but one of their first. Quarter baskets. They still put Quinn Cook on Danny Green, which is the less challenging defensive assignment, and then and kept Steph on on the harder Kyle Lowry because they just don't trust Quinn Cook defensively.
0: Yeah, and I wouldn't say it, it was necessarily that that much his fault.
1: Oh no, no, no.
0: Yeah, but but it, obviously he certainly brings uh, plenty of. Yeah, they, they
1: just have more of those kind of guys on the floor when you know they're leaning more on him. They're leaning more on Alfonso McKinney and Jarebko in that in that second quarter which was that early second quarter when the Warriors were just were, were pretty awful before they rebounded when the starters came back in and had that gap there was that ghastly I think it was three minutes and 42 seconds where neither team scored a basket which was not the most fun stretch of the, in, the, in the world but there were some good defensive plays there
0: you know Steph obviously was awesome with 47 points playoff career high both of his playoff career highs actually have come in at losses the previous 44 points was that game one in San Antonio where they blew a, a 17 point lead in the last five minutes maybe Steve Kerr was thinking of that game when he decided with them down 17 with under six minutes left and and totally out of gas to just leave everybody in uh, other than Iguodala and the starting lineup in theory shouldn't have been that bad defensively with Livingston Iguodala I think that's why he went with Livingston as he wanted more of a a defensive tone but I thought Cousins really just sabotaged everything that they're trying to do defensively the last game was the game for the people who thought that signing Cousins was a great idea I thought he would be a key figure in this series uh, when he was able to come back uh, and play but this game i mean one out of seven three turnovers and all other than his one three-point miss the rest of those seven were right at the rim four points negative 12 in 19 minutes and especially at the start of the third I thought he probably had about a six or seven possession stretch which is about as bad as anyone has ever played in the NBA finals I mean it it was just getting sliced up in pick and roll defense getting posted up committing fouls missing layups turnovers complaining to the referees not being able to get back everything that can go wrong for DeMarcus Cousins went wrong there and I I think it's clear I'm not sure what his level of conditioning is how that quad is feeling he was limping around after the game but a lot of guys do uh, at this point in the season so I don't know how much you can take from that necessarily but it's clear that especially against this Raptors length whether it's Ibaka or Gasol he just doesn't have the explosion to finish around the room and he was at that point when he first came back although he at least was hitting the three-pointer then that's the other thing he just the one three that he had was way off and he's got he's just completely abandoned that like if he could shoot the the three the way he shot it before he got injured that would be so helpful for this Warriors team but so he's not shooting that and then he can't finish around there and it really took him a couple of months of being back before he felt comfortable again finishing around the room and remember that he was doing that with the spacing that Golden State starters provide and so a lot of times there he would just have one matchup and he could kind of get his shoulder into the guy knock him back with his strength that, and go up any he kind of help defender he can't get off the ground at all and so he's really getting bothered on some of those plays so that it's uh and Gasol obviously is a masterful defender as well and then I thought Nick Nurse did a great job of going to the post of Gasol which has been completely ineffective just about anybody that they've gone against in these playoffs with Gasol in the post even Tobias Harris he wasn't able to do much against him but Gasol got a bucket got a couple of cheap fouls on DeMarcus I think they scored six points on Gasol post-ups in I want to say four possessions uh, of doing that so DeMarcus foul prone and then tires him out a little bit too I thought that was a really smart strategy to go right at him at at the start of the game and then the Warriors strategy on the other hand which I I seemed like a good one that they just kind of had to abandon was hey guess what guys like they're gonna be not guarding you with no Klay Thompson who we'll talk about his absence in a second you guys DeMarcus Andre Draymond Green when you guys are open for three you're gonna take it with no hesitation it seemed very clear to me based on the way that those guys shot it that you guys are going to go out there we're going to try and hit some shots early and loosen up the defense and I think they had like three airballed open threes in like the first 15 minutes of the game like none of those guys hit a shot and Steph was six out of 14 from downtown and while Green and Iguadala did hit a few late they didn't hit any in the first half when they really struggled offense
1: yeah I think the the first half stat is, is a good way of thinking about that so in the first half Curry was four for eight from three the rest of the Warriors were one for 11.
0: yeah that was a, a big problem like mcKinney hit an open three off a of curry assist to, yes. of course uh let's talk a little oh, wait, bit wait, about can, yeah, ahead, I, I want
1: to say one thing about cousins that was also different from the last game so yeah. he you know had this big breakout and in game two and a lot of what he was doing was creating value as a passer and whether part part of it was spacing and also not having his of cutters you know Clay Thompson is one of the better one of the better players on the Warriors at that sort of an action they just didn't have those opportunities available they could didn't structure the offense in the same way. And he was below 50% from the field in game 2 as well. It was just that he was providing value in other facets of the floor and he defensively was was be- significantly better and I thought that Nick Nurse as you said did a better job of kind of developing things that he would have trouble defending and it worked out really well.
0: You know, it's interesting. We it seemed like Kawhi Leonard had a quiet game, but you looked down at his stat line and he was a, a big part of really killing the Warriors. He had a little bit of a rush stretch In the second quarter when they were double teaming him he wasn't able to really find the openings had to force up uh, some shots late but overall I mean 30 points on 22 shooting possessions six assists two steals two blocks was excellent for him especially in the second half he really came on and he was getting into the post uh, against smaller players when the Warriors weren't matched up pick and roll he was pretty effective and again just the lack of options for Golden State to match up with him they didn't really want to go with Iguodala on him much unless they were switched. And so when it was Draymond again, they just could not get the level of help that they wanted to. Kawhi was a big part of putting them into the rotation. And then I thought Lowry's drive game, and he played 43 minutes in this game, but 23 points for him, eight of 16 five of nine from three and nine assists but he got to the cup more really than he has been in a lot of these playoffs again I think the the Raptors Van Vliet also are coming to understand that maybe there's some more room especially against this depleted Warriors team to finish at the rim compared to against Philly and against Milwaukee and that the Warriors don't want to overhelp on those guys and so Lowry used to be a wonderful finisher earlier in his career and really had kind of abandoned that but now he's still got that tank body where he can shield the ball draw foul calls and I thought he was really good getting to the basket through some really nice pocket passes to Gasol and Ibaka. Van Vliet hit a couple of jumpers out of pick and roll when they had Bogan in who played well but is just you know not going to get out on the floor on those type of plays and it it really was just an overall fantastic effort and then when guys like Danny Green got open he knocked it down to the tune of six of ten from three had had another Danny Green transition chase down block that was a, a key stretch when Quinn Cook got blocked a couple of times on fast break layups with, when they were getting close so it, it was really just overall a very awesome effort from a formidable team against a, an undermanned Warriors squad which you know was kind of limited when you you look at some of these options off the bench Quinn Cook 27 minutes Jerebko had to play 10 McKinney 18 I mean those guys are just you know cousins I and mean, that's now four of your eight man rotation that just aren't good defenders and Toronto took advantage quite easily
1: on the other end of the floor- I thought one of the major takeaways from this game was, not, and this is not a surprise, for those who remember listening to the Game 2 recap, I talked about how I thought the Raptors needed to start Fred Van Vliet, and he didn't start this game, but he did start the second half, and you could see the difference in how hard Stephen Curry had to work for his shots. Here are the full game, the full game splits. Curry played 31 minutes when Fred VanVleet was on the floor. He scored 27 points. That's a lot of points. But it was 8 of 21 from the field and 8 of 8 from the line. So 25 25 shooting possessions, 25 points, 7 assists, 3 turnovers. So, I mean, that's still fantastic. Not, not knocking it at all. But then here's how he did when Fred VanVleet was not on the floor. 13 minutes, 20 points on 6 of 10 from the field, 5 of 6 from the line. Actually, no assists, no turnovers. That's for those who remember, that was a lot of just Curry shooting at the beginning of the first quarter. And he, Curry did a great job of, you know, using, try to create something out of nothing a lot of times on defense. But it was a lot easier to create that something when Kyle Lowry was on him than when Fred Van Vliet was on
0: him. Yeah. And Lowry, just at this stage of his career, I think he's 33 now, just not going to keep up with someone like stuff off all, all the screens in particular. I mean, that's really where Van Vliet is the best at taking away Curry's off ball stuff. And so, Nick Nurse decided to start him in the second half, as you had advocated last game. And I thought that was an important step. And that's even with Danny Green having been so good in the first half. He still went with Van Vliet thinking that they they wanted to do it defensively. All right, so I got a question I want to ask you after the break here, a crazy stat that Bob Vulgaris tweeted out, whether we can make any sense of this or not. But one thing that I know I can make sense of is the need to stop wasting so much time in traffic whether you're trying to be productive whether you're trying to have fun spend time with people read a book waste your time away on twitter whatever it is all that is way better than sitting in traffic and that's what boosted can help you out with they provide vehicle grade electric skateboards and scooters that have a 22 mile range and they go up to 24 miles an hour so they're perfect for running to the store traveling across town when you consider the gridlock that now afflicts our cities even if you're going to take uber or Lyft. Or a taxi, you could end up sitting in traffic a a ton. They now have five options to pick from, starting at just $61 a month with financing that'll help you get there faster and a lot cheaper than other transportation options. Boosted was one of Time magazine's best invention of 2018. For that reason, there's no better time to change how you move because Boosted is offering our listeners $75 off the purchase of an electric vehicle when you use the code CapSpace. our CapSpace, of course, we talk about all the time around the forum. Use that CapSpace code to check out at boostedboards.com that's boostedboards.com use the code CapSpace. get 75 dollars off your vehicle save yourself a ton of money a ton of time at boostedboards.com and don't forget that cast space code to let them know that you came from us so here's that step the raptors scored 1.59 points per possession off of makes in this game is that just total noise or is there something to that
1: there's something to that because they were able to generate so much through penetration, and and the Warriors' transition defense wasn't great, but they didn't need those sorts of seams to get good shots, so I I think there's a little bit to it. I don't think there's a ton, especially when you consider the expectation that the Warriors will have different defensive personnel, and while the Raptors will hopefully have the same offensive personnel, that will make a pretty significant difference. So I I think it's more reflective of what this game was than predictive of where it's going, but it, it, it was a fair representation of what we saw. Yeah, it's certainly
0: reflected over the fact that their offense overall... Was really good in this game. This is another one too, where you remember how they had that crazy shooting in game one, late in the shot clock. I'm not sure if that information's available yet, but I'm guessing. And they hit some crazy hero shots at the end of the clock, but also just they got a lot of real good looks just off a of ball movement that on possessions that took a while to develop. And that's you get know, This is a really good passing team with a, a lot of smart players. So I don't know that I. I mean, because usually the Raptors are are great in transition. They were great in transition in, in game one also both teams are actually shockingly inefficient in transition in this game so yeah I, I i mean i would think it's more noise but we'll see if that's something that continues because usually golden state is excellent defensively in the half court and they're more vulnerable in transition that wasn't the case tonight any other kind of big things that you want to focus on? i guess we should talk about clay not playing off huh?
1: yeah i mean that was a, a big question going into the game i thought after his workout let's call it yesterday my expectation was that he was not going to play because it just didn't it didn't look quite there and hamstrings you don't mess with those we've we've ha- hamstrings are tricky is unfortunately been kind of a, a a tag for dunked on over the last few years yeah. we've hamstrings and calves,
0: and that's uh that's what the warriors season hangs on right now
1: it is and so that was my instinct with thompson and the Warriors perimeter depth hasn't been particularly strong for a while now I mean that's it's a really hard thing to have depth because they have these limited resources and they use the mid-level on DeMarcus Cousins and I'm not ripping Bob Myers for doing that and then the draft picks they've tried to make on that you know Jacob Evans not ready to contribute and that means it puts more on guys who are who are limited in various ways and so we talked a little bit about McKinney and I talked about Quinn Cook's defense Sean Livingston just a tough matchup for him Toronto's intelligence defense defensively like they, it just makes life so much harder on everybody else on the Warriors because he's not going to take those kind of shots and, and really like I mean his make was on a, another one of those kind of like broken play type things it wasn't a you know him finding a way to a pull-up jumper it was him breaking in for a dunk and it's a challenge I mean they, they don't really have a way to replace Klay Thompson maybe that is something Klay Thompson can use in his contract negotiations but that's something we already knew so and and he's he's yeah. a max player he's an incredibly important part of this team or any other team he would want to be on and
0: I thought the absence of looney it was really a killer too especially with demarcus so incredibly ineffective and other than designated last minute of the quarter substitute jordan bell they had to go with traditional drop back pick and roll defense all the time with cousins and bogut who again bogut was pretty good uh, at times especially at the end of the second quarter but also got taken advantage of some it just due to his lack of foot speed and you know expecting him to have the stamina to play more than three four minutes at a time at this stage in career is asking a lot probably the same for demarcus frankly but looney gave them that option of switching gave them that option of blitzing getting out on the floor and putting more pressure on toronto and toronto was just able to operate so comfortably tonight uh, except for that end of the second quarter when you know Draymond in particular was awesome he took two charges on Kawhi he he was all over the place double teaming he you know I wouldn't say that it was necessarily his fault like it like I thought in game one he did not have a good defensive game I thought tonight he was just you know had too many holes in the dikes that had not enough fingers to, to plug them with tonight back to the Clay thing I thought the whole thing was really curious about having him go out there and shoot around putting him in front of the media I mean when's the last time a guy who was questionable like that went in front of the media and discussed every possible aspect of his injury of what it felt like at the time and he felt like there was a knot in there after those few possessions when he was still able to run up and down and he discussed you know when he's able to play and when he isn't and like it was it almost seemed like they were putting so much information out there in the direction of him possibly playing now that might have been just to assuage him because he really wants to play but it also i think could have just been for obfuscation purposes especially because the warriors are so much easier to prepare for without clay, and there's some things you do like the box one, which you didn't see at all tonight, by the way. Uh, at least that I was able to see from section 224 in the upper deck end zone. Um, any other notes uh, that you had on this one i have kind of a few smaller ones i wanted to get to but n- nothing else major
1: we did see a brief bit of patrick McCaw in this game it was actually the first game he's played in oracle since the 2018 nba finals and they did not do a tribute video or anything like that um, i'm sure there were, were reasons behind that but and norm powell only played six and a half minutes too which was which was interesting they didn't really need that much yeah. from anybody well else. with lowry
0: going so well him playing the 43 minutes exactly I think that's what was the reason for that
1: yeah and Van Vliet 33 I mean they're just artists yeah. there aren't as many minutes for perimeter players Kawhi played 38 so yeah there, there wasn't as much there and and that I thought I thought that was was interesting and I'm wondering where the Van Vliet story goes from here I mean Danny Green scoring points. as far two. as starting the next yes, game you mean? I, I would start him I think that's the way yeah you know I
0: think maybe if KD and Clay both start the next game they might just feel that they're too small because now yeah I mean you, you won't have anyone for Lowry to guard at that point Lowry gonna have to guard either Steph or Clay if they if they start both KD and Clay. I mean that's gonna that's gonna totally mess up these matchups for Toronto at that point I mean it, it's uh this whole Van Vliet on Curry thing all of a sudden is gonna lead to a, a mismatch so, or maybe you know Clay and KD won't be moving as well Curry did say he expects KD or or he expects Clay to play in game four to the athletics Tim Kawakami but does not know uh, yet uh, uh, about where KD is gonna be at KD hasn't got Gone through a full practice but and he's obviously had the longer layoff clay you know at least from a rhythm standpoint won't have as many issues it seems like uh sure we, Where, where we, were you there
1: well should we talk a little bit more about Curry's night I mean we, we've kind of made mention of it but the the 47 points is the eighth most in an NBA Finals game ever puts in between Alan Iverson in 2001 and then Michael Jordan in 1992 and as you said second time he's done it in a loss and I mean for me I thought this was well, yeah
0: not not in the finals. Finals,
1: no no clear. the other one wasn't uh, was in early run and but but what i thought was so striking about it from from his perspective was toronto's defense was was really key to him they did concede the looks at, at moments to to other warriors who bricked a, or airballed a lot of them but oof. he did he did such an amazing job with his handle of just kind of finding little little seams and getting you know like getting kind of a shoulder in and then trying a floater or having somebody react then passing it out and i had some people point out to me that it was like this is what it lot of other guys go through all the time because curry just plays with so much talent but i thought it was a good ex- a good display of like all of the all of the tricks that he has in his arsenal now both as a as a dribbler as a passer and and as a as a shooter slash score
0: yeah it was kind of almost back to the mark jackson days but even then you know they had some other guys that they're trying to involve uh but you know clay wasn't nearly as part of a big as part of the offense back then and you know he kind of looked like dame lillard out there to some degree and just the, the amount of penetration that he was able to get and the incredibly tight windows uh, that he was dealing with uh, and some of some of the moves that he made were just uh, amazing and it almost it kind of makes you a little sad almost that kd came here because of what we could have seen from him now would have led to less championships probably but in terms of his individual performance what we could have seen from him these last three years to where you know maybe we would have it, it would have been even more apparent to people what an all-time great he was at. And I'll also be quite honest, I, at the start of these playoffs and he's struggling against the Clippers, and I didn't believe that he had this type of a performance available to him any anymore. And it was, I mean, that first quarter with 17 points and four assists, and I think pretty much every other bucket was he comes off a screen and then the other guy's open, cutting to the rim type of play uh, in that first quarter. And yeah, they actually trailed by seven because they couldn't stop anybody. It was one of like the best offensive quarters I've ever seen against a great defensive team. So yeah, it was definitely one of like the all-time forums which because this game wasn't close no one's going to remember it could potentially help him if the Warriors win the series to win that long-awaited finals MVP I'm a little worried though going forward about him I thought that Kerr although I understood the logic of hey you know what, if Steph goes out of the game here we might just lose this game completely but because of the way he plays he can't play an entire half and still be effective over the entire half and they they needed him to be that like we saw in that Portland game four he didn't score in the last 10 minutes of the game because he was just totally dead and it was obvious from his body language i mean he's usually not the kind of guy who's gonna be bent over he's in fantastic condition but he was like bent over sucking wind. i mean especially like when he and he's capable of still fighting through that but at times with some of those hustle plays he was making late in the fourth quarter when frankly he probably shouldn't have been on the floor so i i thought not resting him there you probably were never gonna be able to get back enough with him that tired and then because you by you know the nine he was completely gassed actually by the end of the third quarter not to mention then starting the fourth. And then I thought when they're down 17 with under 6 minutes left, you just especially given the way the game was going, the fact that Steph had played the whole second half, Draymond was on police to play a ton of minutes as well, that it was really time to pack in, especially given how bad their defense was and how leaky it was. It just seemed like there's no way they're going to be able to come back. I mean, there's of Well, been and maybe, this being the yeah. shortest
1: turnaround in the series. Right. And and that these are high-stress minutes with a pretty low success rate, it, I, was, I was shocked at how aggressive he was in a game that looked to me to be pretty well in hand. I mean, I thought about five minutes into this game, I had a pretty good idea. It was just going to depend on how much Steph played. And it was even more clear at that point in the fourth quarter where where all of this was going. And yeah, it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the ripple effects of this one are for the for the rest and rhythm of, of a bunch of different guys. And I mean, we'll see who is, who is available for the Warriors. But I mean, Curry playing 43 minutes of really high stress action at least on the offensive end you know maybe maybe he feels that a little bit he's he's in as you said his conditioning is very good but it's a challenge and now game four takes on massive significance yet yeah, the expectation is that the Warriors will have better personnel but if they don't win that game I do believe especially if if Durant will be in better physical condition maybe he, he'll even be available for the first time in game five that 3-1 would not be insurmountable but it would be pretty damn hard to overcome especially with the Raptors having two home games so I mean you when when it's down to a single game I've talked about this in game sevens during the NBA cast and other things it's like random chance all these other things can come into play and the Raptors are they're playing fantastic basketball right now so it's a huge a huge game for both squads the Raptors can get a real a real strong hold on the rest of this series but at the same point you know the the feeling of well what are these two teams like if they're full strength or whatever the reasonable facsimile is that's something we still don't really know because we haven't seen too much of it yet
0: yeah and down three games to one, even a full strength on all cylinders Warriors team, I wouldn't I mean they'd be capable, but I wouldn't expect them to win right. three straight against this Raptors team with two of them on the road.
1: Agreed, wholeheartedly.
0: And also worth noting that coming down from three one as the road team in a series has only been done twice, I believe, in NBA history, at least in the three point era for sure. Uh 1995 Houston against Phoenix, the, the Kenny Smith, or I'm sorry, the Mario Ellie shot in the in the corner, and then of course 2016. Those are your only two times that, that that's happened. And 2016, of course, was aided by uh, a, a number of strange occurrences. So this game actually kind of felt a little bit like that 2015 game five, where Steph and Clay, particularly Clay, was heroic in the first half, and then just ran out of gas, and they just couldn't stop Cleveland. And that's ultimately every time the Warriors started I think they got within seven a few times in the second half, and the Raptors had a, a big answer either offensively with a big block. Uh, uh, or uh, with timely shooting you know good shooting uh but also uh, on wide open shots a few other notes here Kerr had to go with Jordan Bell at the four first time we've seen that I thought that that actually helped Cousins defensively at the start of the fourth he looked a little bit better in those minutes but Jonas Jarebko guarding Pascal Siakam during the non-Kawhi minutes at the start of the second quarter was a complete disaster Jurebko too slow not strong enough for Siakam and then to make matters worth i thought his strategy defensively wasn't very good in the isos he was letting him get to his right hand instead of forcing him into the help siakam had had another pretty nice passing game uh, as well which he can do at times other times uh, he can get a little bit of tunnel vision and feel free to break in here if if you've got any uh, as well uh the Raps did suffer a little bit of foul trouble danny green getting a third foul gasol a third foul in the second that may have had something to do with van vliet starting the second
1: yeah it it very well could have oh that ties in with the other thing i wanted to say and i'm i'm sure I actually wasn't on wasn't on Twitter too much during this game, partially because of the Wi-Fi at Oracle isn't fantastic. But I thought this was a very poorly officiated game, but not a poorly officiated game that dramatically impacted the likelihood of of either team winning. It was just they just missed a bunch of stuff. And okay, I, I, that's all I really want to say on it. But I wanted to mention that
0: Serge Ibaka's second half was just fantastic. Some of the blocks that he got, some timely offensive rebounds. He, he had a nice rebound and hook o- over to Marcus. He hit a big pick and pop two pointer uh, to quell some Warriors momentum. And th- there were just a ton of people who had no chance of finishing over him at, inside. He really is a, an excellent player still. And sometimes, especially when you're coming off the bench, even if you're a good player, we saw this with Van Vliet, for a series and a half really two and a half series he wasn't that good in the Orlando series either as I, I recollect just when you're a bench player sometimes it can look like you suck or you're unplayable even if you're a good player just because you don't necessarily get enough minutes to play yourself out of a slump whether it's just random chance or you're just not having you know a few good possessions and Ibaka served of noticed in this one of how good he can act be of course was huge in that game seven win over the Sixers as well so let's make the assumption quickly here Danny that KD and Clay are both going to play KD probably going to be on a minutes limit you know I could see him on a 25 minute limit maybe 30 could even see clay being on a minutes limit as well how does that change things? we talked about how lowry probably now has to guard stuff and or clay if you're gonna play van fleet as well and i do think they really need van fleet on stuff and now you're also you could get into trouble switching it against kd but we're kind of talking now i don't know what sticks out to you about if those guys are back and in you know if they're both kind of on a 25 to 30 minutes a game limit what game four could look like
1: one of the most important impacts would be take let's call it 50 minutes away from everybody else on the Warriors.
0: Yeah, that's really what, what it comes down to, right? That's the biggest thing more even than... And, and those guys are going to... They're always going to get guarded no matter... You know, They could be 70 years old, they're always going to get guard three.
1: Right, and so if you assume Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, their minutes are largely unaffected. So fewer minutes for McKinney, fewer minutes for Cook, fewer minutes for Sean Livingston, even though Livingston only played 17. Fewer minutes for Jarebko, which I think is really important. He was awful in this game, the limited amount that he played played so that has huge that has huge positive impl- implications for the Warriors better defensively more dangerous offensively opens up more avenues for their limited offensive players that are still on the floor and theoretically depending on how they want to approach it it also opens up something that hasn't been true for the Warriors since Kevin Durant got hurt which is and now that especially now that Looney's out if necessary in limited moments they can actually go back to Draymond Green at center and
0: yeah that's a huge one
1: it, it totally opens up some of their defensive schemes stuff and we talked about it during games one and two of this series that the Warriors centers were better than the perimeter players like when they're kind of filling the gaps and that will you know once Durant and Clay Thompson even if they're limited once they're back with Looney being out it completely shifts the other way and yeah, I
0: think yeah go ahead sorry
1: no and, and so and I think the Warriors play better defensively that way like I mean they can do it with Looney too but Looney's unavailable that they kind of fall back on some bad habits and and Bogut has his moments but he's still he's pretty easy to attack and I think Nurse is getting better at that. So I, I think it would it would be significant for the Warriors. That doesn't mean they're gonna win every game. Doesn't mean they're necessarily gonna even gonna win game four at home. But it makes life a lot easier on them.
0: Yeah, I think they can cause big time matchup problems for the Raptors if they can get to that Hamptons five. So but it's just a question of what kind of shape Arcady and Clay gonna be in and, and Iguodala you know, he's really been pretty limited offensively at this point to just shooting threes and kind of being out there and trying to compete defensively. He's done he hasn't had a dunk uh, or really any kind of a finish inside since it looked like he retweaked his calf or his hamstring whatever that was at the end of game one so you know how much he can provide it is an interesting question but I think defensively in particular they can cause some real matchup problems because the Raptors really thrive on getting penetration moving the ball getting threes that way driving kicks and that could also finally lead to Gasol not being able to hack it and then you know if you go to a box is he, he's gonna have to get out on the perimeter now too the Raptors have not played OGN and at all I thought Nurse missed a chance to maybe just get him a few minutes but who knows I mean he's theoretically active but you know hasn't played it in forever and maybe he's not even in any kind of condition to, to get out there to where he could be a part of the series anyway but I thought like they could at least have tried to get his feet wet in a game they're in control of most of the way but so so Ibaka Gasol Lowry are those guys really going to be able to survive that well I mean I think Lowry in terms of one-on-one defense can it, but if they're not switching he can't stay with Steph off these screens like that's been proven pretty well at this point in his career and then they've got you know four of those guys can guard Kawhi Leonard off a switch they can get into switching everything I think the Raptors there's really you know maybe it's the Occam too but they're not you know the Raptors are not a hunt Steph Curry type of team and the Warriors just have a so much length it's a, a big question for me is just especially with KD what level of intensity is he going to be able to play at is he just going to be able to go out there and kind of all right i'm going to give him what i can i'm not really ready i'm not in, in game shape you know which he wouldn't be blameful blamed for if, if that was the case but if you go small is he going to provide much on the boards and, and protecting the basket and defensively or is it going to kind of have to more be spot minutes and getting him back involved, fall have him hit some shots get in a rhythm but you know he's not going to be able to play with that level of intensity but even even so i think they can make things to where cousins could be more effective uh oh, offensively as well so it's just you know having maybe the best player in the world still Kevin Durant come back even at 70% and in for only 30 minutes makes a huge difference and then how much is Curry gonna have left I think that's gonna be a, a big factor too having played the whole second half here at you know maybe this may have been the highest effort game of, of his career overall and uh, if KD doesn't play you know I'm, I I think I might still favor the Raptors in that game I thought I think I read this that even after Clay was ruled out which I think people should be able to kind of figure up beforehand that the Warriors were still favored in this game which I thought was absolutely ludicrous absolutely and, and I, I we talked about that beforehand so I, this, that's not hindsight uh and maybe there's just that much respect for Curry and Draymond Green I certainly have a lot of respect for those two guys but man I mean that's just it's asking a lot to beat this Raptors team and then obviously uh Cousins did not uh play like an all-star <laughs> uh for him it's like oh they still have three all-stars available uh no, no not tonight at least so yeah I'm very interested to see whether Cousins can give them anything further certainly when you're coming back from injury the, your performance is i think more prone to wax and wane anything else you want to talk about here
1: no i think that's about it
0: let's turn to, to some news uh sean always th- does a nice job when he uh, breaks out his notes columns uh, so he will be prominently featured here first thing i wanted to start with was uh, his discussion on the hawks they could apparently be a destination for contract dumps once again you remember uh carmelo anthony's long tenure as an, an atlanta hawk uh, last summer
1: jamal and, crawford the year before
0: i'm sorry oh yeah yeah jamal crawford the year before so travis schlenk has done that i mean that that the hawks could have as much as 41 million in space seems like they're still in asset acquisition mode they do have five draft picks already this offseason including number eight and number 10. So some of that is, again, is just assets. Do they want to use all those? It doesn't seem like they're quite ready yet as far as having the young core that they want to add to. So I think you're still in asset acquisition mode at that point in time. Trey Young, John Collins, Kevin Herter, is that enough to feel like, okay, we've got the basis of a perennial 50-win team if everything works out with those guys? No, I think you still need to try to get some more core pieces there So it doesn't really make a ton of sense to me to go crazy in free agency. You know, maybe you try and find someone who could come in who's younger or maybe make a restricted free agent oversheet. The one thing that they are being talked about potentially is another short-term deal for Dwayne Dedman, depending on what his market looks like. I've been higher on him than a lot of people with his ability to be a two-way center and both roll and pop. He's got some versatility, Uh, but they're talking about maybe something along the lines of that two-year $14 million deal that he signed with the hawks initially or a one-year balloon payment? uh what do you make of the report on the supposed market for d'angelo russell
1: well i thought that the teams that were listed which were utah orlando minnesota indiana the if you ignored the cba and their contractual obligations you'd look that group and say yeah that that sounds about right you know orlando's perpetually looking for a point guard of the future as well as dj augustine played this year you know they're, they're still looking for the future indiana utah looking for somebody to pair with their talented guard who could kind of go they could slide either direction with that and then Minnesota it's kind of the same situation we've talked before about how doesn't seem like they see Tyus Jones as their point guard of the future the challenge there though if we're talking about D'Angelo Russell's market and this is something you and I have alluded to in the past but I think we can we'll talk about more explicitly at some point in the future two of those teams really don't have much of a way of getting him Minnesota super expensive already and Orlando could theoretically clear cap space, but that would require some painful exits, presumably Vooch, possibly Terrence Ross as well. Maybe they find a taker for Timothy Moskov. Utah and Indiana could, but there's some pain involved for them too. So I think this is a reminder that even though D'Angelo Russell has significant support in front offices from what I've heard before, actualizing that could be difficult for him if Brooklyn wants to play hardball, and maybe they don't, but it is worth keeping an eye on that that could be like a lot of restricted free agents, maybe a little bit more of a protracted negotiation
0: and brooklyn of course has been linked uh, to kyrie irving some reports saying that they are his first choice as of now though the whimsy of kyrie is uh not something that i would want to take as a constant by any means uh well the whimsy is a constant but uh his desires perhaps uh, are not the other issue too is the base year compensation issues if he is signed and traded so that makes it a lot more complex from matching salary if you sign and trade him into the cap space then those go away but if a team has the cap space to sign him outright there's not a ton of incentive for them to agree to a sign and trade other than just the certainty of the timing knowing that you are going to actually get him but with Kyrie potentially in the Nets crosshairs Kyrie and Russell together doesn't seem like an amazing fit to me maybe they want to re-sign D'Angelo simply to trade him at a later point you don't want to let the asset get away and the Nets looking at about 28 million in room right now they would have the ability to stretch alan crab and get enough room to sign Kyrie and keep russell's 21 million dollar cap hold on the book so that might be the direction they go and they'd, they the nets have pretty good depth so it's not like they would be in big trouble if they hold on to that 20 million cap hold and re-sign russell as opposed to doing something else with their money minnesota i mean i love the fit there i think russell's biggest weakness is that he can be switched against defensively but he's running a pick and roll with carl anthony town You're not going to switch off of towns, so that could make him much more reliable. And and towns could be a great pick and roll partner defensively. Maybe that's not the greatest look, but they could be a real offensive power. I think that'd be a great fit for Russell's skills. But again, I don't see how Minnesota is able to get there legally. And this goes back to Michael Schiller wrote a piece as well of well, what is Russell's market going to be? And he listed a few of these same teams. But again, you're seeing how far they are going, and the fact that these articles are even coming out is an indication that they. They are really trying to build up a market and gain some negotiating leverage because you know you don't necessarily hear this all the time with restricted free agents, especially those who, although we didn't think he deserved it, made it an all-star team. And then the last point too: Utah, and Indiana, yeah, they could have space. Although, as you mentioned, that would mean giving up on some cap holds of guys they might want to retain, or in Utah's case, non-guarantees. But then you're a team that already has really good players that's trying to win. You can't wait until July eighth if you do an offer sheet for Russell that gets matched, and it probably would get matched almost certainly you would think unless it's like the max if you do an overshoot that gets matched now you're just sitting there holding a bag of, of 27 million in cap space on july 8th when all the good free agents are gone like you, you're trying to win next year you can't do that
1: well one thing i want to posit and it's it's a possibility i'm, I'm sure for, depending on where you are in brooklyn this could be a, a big positive is there's a chance that we got a little bit of a julius randall situation here where if the nets are deciding to go in a different direction then russell could be a late unrestricted free agent that they could just need to clear that money but i don't expect that to happen yeah i, I mean
0: that that would be you'd probably have to see a second max max player coming in at that right point yeah that would for, be for, like for presumably be let's it. say
1: Kyrie plus something else
0: yeah, yeah. For it to be worth it to give up that cap hold for him,
1: yeah, and you'd have to have they'd have to have that bird in the hand like that. That's what that would be is they'd have yeah. you know that's that's really when a team gives it up. Like for example, Kelly Olynyk in the Gordon Hayward situation. That's that's what we're what we're talking about here.
0: Yeah, and you imagine that Brooklyn's offer to him might even start at a little bit below what that cap hold is, uh, and average out to you know maybe a five year, hundred million dollar type of deal, five year, one ten, something something in that range, which uh, for a quote unquote all star. Uh, would be i'm sure he, he probably wouldn't be happy with that let's move on here quickly chicago has signed former rockets assistant roy rogers to a three-year deal that matches up with jim boylan's deal uh both boylan and rogers uh, warren legary clients the common thread there what about uh in cleveland where we've heard a bit about a potential move for that jr smith contract i know you wrote a piece about that
1: yeah so basically i i wanted to use jr smith as a lens to talk about how how the league changing the protections base, or the the trade rules on light and partially guaranteed players has really changed the league in terms of these transactions. And so when the league changed that in the new CB in the newest CBA, the current one, they grandfathered in the old rules which were more flexible, basically counting light and partial guarantees at their full value for trades that allowed a team to do like a big you know big money light guarantee for a player who was making full money and and have one team clear the books, have one team add talent. And Jair Smith is one of the last contracts that that still works for and so theoretically that could be a way for Cleveland to take on salary the challenge there is that Cleveland is pretty close to the luxury tax so either Dan Gilbert is willing to pay it that's entirely possible but considering how bad their team is even though he's been very willing to spend in the past that that's worth noting and then the other one would be what I kind of focused on is this interesting gamble from Kobe Altman of take on extra money now and basically have nine and a half months to clear it off and they could do that through like trading Jordan Clarks or the stretch provision or numerous other things and so i i i thought it was an interesting circumstance that tied in i had all but the piece was already mostly written and then sham said the report that miami is interested in a, a trade along those lines with Jared smith which is not a surprise because they have bad money on their books both in the short term with ryan anderson and in the long term with Dion waiters and james johnson and all those type of guys so they would be natural trade partners except that miami is very asset poor unless they're willing to throw their draft pick into the mix and picking at 13 that would be a really big resource i don't think that's cleveland's what cleveland's offering is strong enough to get that
0: yeah albert namad posited that maybe the trade could include houston's first rounder and number 26 going back to the heat in exchange for taking on the money but yeah as you mentioned cleveland it'll cost them a pretty penny to take on more money unless they're willing to stretch some of the lines of like henson or Del dover or something like that it, guys who probably aren't going to be in their plans they got a lot of vets coming up here uh on expiring contracts but like you i think it would be a bummer for miami already out that unprotected 2021 first round pick already out some seconds these next few years due to previous cost-cutting moves to give up a, a nice piece like that going forward shams also reported that jason kidd's contract with the lakers makes him the highest paid assistant coach in the nba and the lakers have also signed uh lionel Hollins as a assistant so i i think part of the idea here under frank vogel is to just have more veteran voices that can get through to lebron james and maybe some of the other vets uh, that they're hoping to bring in here for the pels david griffin apparently has started to listen now after that sit-down meeting with anthony davis uh, shams again reiterating that davis's stance remains firm that he is going to want to trade griffin supposedly might keep ad until the february trade deadline in hopes uh, of convincing him but he's going to at least listen and perhaps it'll be uh, th- they're trying to establish that in. Inter- Internal leverage. Oh, we don't have to trade them now. You don't have uh, You better get your best offer in, or we're just going to keep them. And, you know, who knows how believable that is. Also, probably no- most noteworthy from that section of his report is that Shams saying rival executives believe that the Lakers, Knicks, Celtics, and Nets can compile the best packages. I would put the Clippers up there uh, uh on that list too uh depending on on what Shea obviously would be the, the big crown jewel there uh and that more importantly Davis's preferred destination has four teams on it but Sean's only listed three of those the Lakers the Knicks and the LA Clippers and notably not listed the Celtics and Nets
1: yeah and not that Anthony Davis and his father necessarily have the same opinion but Davis's father's criticism of the Celtics and, and Danny Ainge that I wrote about back at the athletic back and when it happened Happen. I think that was in February. You know, maybe that's that's lingering in here as well, and we've seen teams not on a player's list of preferred destinations do well. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see. The whole idea there is to affect the quality of offers, and then theoretically, then, that makes the preferred destinations offer more, and the other teams offer less, so you end up at your desired destination, or at least one of them. We can move on to Oklahoma City, where, according to Shamstrania, the Thunder have had multiple conversations with various teams about using the 21st pick, which is the one they have in the first round this year. In a trade to reduce team salary and relieve financial pressure. There are a number of different ways that this could happen, and it's it's not a particular surprise to me when you consider that the Thunder are not only in the repeater tax but just have a lot of long-term salary and at, they you know there are reasons to believe that if healthy they could have had a, a much more successful, you know, run. They were in the higher seeds in the West before a late swoon due to Paul George's shoulder in in no small part. But that's what happens when you put a lot of Money in her book some of it good some of it bad is it becomes a lot for ownership to take on it's a big part of the reason why i was intensely critical of the dennis Schroeder trade because dennis Schroeder has more money remaining on his contract than carmelo anthony was owed last season and that becomes a problem
0: yeah also Schroeder uh did not solve uh, what ailed them uh, as uh, their first run exit it made clear a couple of quick hitters a, a report out of europe i i forget precisely who said that nando de may leave seshka moscow after the season, his reputation as one of the best, if not the best guards in Europe. Solid shooter, has decent size. Maybe getting past his prime years uh, already, uh, but he will be a free agent on July first. Raptors still have his rights as a restricted free agent. I don't know that they have a ton of need for him, but of course their roster would quite be in flux if Kawhi Leonard were to leave, and maybe that could lead to a Lowry trade, and then they would want to bring in Nikola or they could just do him a Solid and releases rights. Who knows? I, I'm uh that would be an interesting situation. But Dacolo certainly, I think, could help as a combo guard off the bench and maybe even a low end starter in the league. You know, we've seen some guys like Sergio Rodriguez didn't do as well, but Dacolo has more athleticism and size than Rodriguez. And then this is really interesting from a development standpoint. I I like this just from for evaluation purposes, and I also think it's just better to bring American basketball, college basketball, more in line with the rest of the world. They will be moving the three point line back to the international line 22 feet one and three quarters inches that is one foot seven and a quarter inches less than the nba's 23 foot nine line so it's still it it is definitely a difference but basically having the difference between well i guess what is it now it's 29 now so you're yeah you're about having the difference between the current college line and the nba line and so should potentially make shooting results in college uh, mean a little bit more as we try to translate to the nba especially i think as you're looking at some older prospects right These, you know you're justin anderson's you're malcolm brides i know those guys both went to virginia but those are both guys who didn't really shoot it that well from three until later in their college careers and i think if they shoot sh- are shooting better from the nba line or or closer to the nba line i should say the what'll be the new college line the new inter- the international line that that could be a little bit more liable in trying to project guys shooting uh so these playoffs yeah nobody in these playoffs is probably going to get into the greatest of all time discussion although they certainly uh legacies from Kawhi, steph curry kd all will be massively impacted here but we already know who the goat is when it comes to buying shoes that's goat.com the safest way to buy and sell authentic sneakers online, the largest marketplace in the world for authentic Yeezys, Jordans, and over 600,000 sneaker listings. The beauty of GOAT is you don't have to worry about counterfeit shoes, which is apparently a major problem. There's more than a coin flips chance that a shoe that you're looking on online is fake when you're talking about some of the best sneakers out there. But with GOAT, every detail is inspected from the stitching and the color to the size and weight. They certify every pair of sneakers on their site, matches exact best, factory specifications because they actually look at them and weigh them they have people who know what these shoes are supposed to smell like and you're not going to find better prices for verified 100 authentic sneakers anywhere else the way to get started with them is goat.com goa you know how to spell that goat.com slash cap space Easy to remember slash cap space because we talk about it all the time here on the program once again that's goat.com slash cap space let them know that, that slash cap space url that you came from us let's turn to a a low key fascinating offseason, the Sacramento Kings report today from Shams saying that they are expected to be in the marketplace for a center. As of now, I project them with $37.7 million in cap space. That does not include a restricted free agent hold for Willie Collie Sent. I would imagine they will probably at least make him a qualifying offer, but his hold is huge, it's 14 million. And I highly doubt they'd want to pay him that. So you could see them deciding that they'll have other stuff that they want to do with with their money and letting him go to become unrestricted. It doesn't seem like they believe in him as the center of the future. I think he could be an okay backup. Not sure how good the fit is there with Marvin Bagley, who's obviously a huge part of their future and paying a lot of money for a center who's not a needle mover like cauley stein it doesn't seem to make a lot a lot of sense to me cauley stein if he is going to play could be better in a system where he can do more switching which the kings aren't going to do with their lack of size in the perimeter and then also playing it with four out around him so he can roll to the basket uh, get those athletic finishes which you know bagley is probably not going to just be spotting up on the perimeter around a pick and roll very often so i would expect that cauley stein will not impact any cap space that that they want to use if they find a good taker for it and then the other issue of course danny is harrison barnes i'm projecting him to opt in at 25 million but certainly we could see him uh, opt out and possibly sign a longer term deal with the kings for lower money or go elsewhere
1: oh, or, or maybe even for more money you know you never really know and would with, with Barnes I, I,
0: th- and- I think we know i think <laughs> we, uh, even with even with that being the kings i think we know.
1: oftentimes when a, a team acquires a player in this circumstance you you have the speculation about whether they Had preliminary conversations about some sort of some sort of deal, and depending on how Sacramento feels about their cap space, could end up with something that is definitely beneficial for Barnes. I mean, I think so. What he has to weigh, and I usually think about this in terms of older players. Like I've talked about this with Al Horford with his player option, is comparing an opt in and then what they can get in 2020 to an opt out. And so you look for let's say like a four year period with somebody like Harrison Barnes. So with Barnes, yeah, it's it's pretty. I'm pretty confident that if he opted out he'd get less money but if you can lock in let's say 18 to 20 million a year it's very possible that that money's not out there in 2020 there'll be fewer teams with cap space and maybe he has a disappointing season with sacramento so if that kind of offer is there i would opt out and take it you can have those preliminary conversations before barnes makes his decision and why sacramento might be interested in that one maybe they just they they don't want to see barnes go they like him they think he fits in with what, what, what they're doing whether that's at the three or the four but also because the theoretically taking less money opens up a little bit more cap space so if they're going after somebody and think they can actually get them and they think that extra space could be better used then that's a, something for vlade devots to work
0: yeah with. and if barnes were to opt out and just leave which you know he has the right to do that if he just doesn't want to be in sacramento that would put them at 61.9 million dollars in space which would be a, an insane amount but they're not known for being able to a, attract a ton of free agents there yeah barnes would be interesting i mean i I would imagine he would be back there. They probably even had some preliminary conversations with him before they made that trade. I don't know how good of a solution he is. Again, he's better at the four can shoot it okay it was not used that much in iso i think his usage uh, as i recall at least at one point towards the end of the year it was like 16 percent or something like that so I, I do think he could be competent as a shooter on the wing not really your defensive stopper type i think he's better at, against bigger players but threes are very hard to come by and i think they brought him over to be their three uh for some time and i don't see them finding a better fit than him on the market and he can play some four maybe you could play Bogdanovich at the three where i think he. He's held up well at times so it does seem like their number one need right now assuming that barnes will be on the team and that he's you know he'll be making in the 17 to 25 million dollar range this season he is a center they've got harry giles but i don't think giles uh, is ready to start yet and while he's played okay with bagley you're pretty light on shooting at that point in time where do you think this goes uh, as far as who they might target on the center market
1: we've already heard some chatter and this is not surprising about vooch connection with with devots and other Eastern European big men and I mean I actually think Vooch is a wonderful fit offensively for what Sacramento wants to do their half court offense was largely uninspiring last year and you know some maybe maybe Jaeger to Walton that change shifts some of that but also you know their personnel fits a lot better the the go-go De'Aaron Fox elements don't carry over as much when you're in the half court and I think Fox is going to get a lot better as a half court player but having a pick and roll partner like Vooch could really open things up for him and uh, a key definitional Question I wrote about this when I did their offseason preview of the Athletic a while back is whether the what they see Bagley's ideal role as. It's a similar question with the Hawks and John Collins, where you can put a lot of different types of players around them. And so you have the defensive and the offensive question. So defensively, do you think that Bagley is good enough to be the anchor of your defense? And then offensively, do you want somebody with more force spacing? And Vooch, I think, does a nice job of splitting, you know, kind of like checking enough boxes. Not a perfect fit, but Sacramento's probably not going to get somebody like that they don't have their own draft pick this year they hope to be good enough where they're not picking in the top of the top of the draft anytime soon and having somebody who can space the floor and who was a part of a, a a surprisingly good defense not the best part but a surprisingly pro- capable part of a good defense outside of him it'll depend on who's willing to say yes like brooke lopez would be a very interesting fit i don't know if brooke lopez is interested in the sacramento uh, game. I,
0: I mean i think he would be a wonderful fit absolutely spacing the floor and then being able to protect the rim behind him defensively but recall that lopez was with Luke Walton in LA two years ago and really just was not used very well was not closing games uh you know I I, I don't I mean if at least if I were him and, and then remember of course that uh the front office didn't want him back I don't know how much Walton had to say about that but well there, I'm there's some reporting
1: that, were, that yeah. Walton was critical of that, that you know that yeah. I, that was in Bill Orham's piece I believe
0: well yeah I, I mean I think Walton Walton was critical or at least the coaching staff uh was critical of just not getting enough spacing but that's uh I don't know if it lopez was mentioned specifically there but it was maybe he was i i don't remember that well but it was uh if i were brooke lopez i wouldn't want to go back and play for the guy that i had the worst year of my career under you know i, I think that that's but they th- it would make a ton of sense and maybe this is the team that would offer brooke lopez more than the full mid-level exception which is very likely the most that milwaukee can offer there's even been talk that uh demarcus could come back potentially which another another team
1: yeah another team that can offer more and especially because a lot of the key decision makers for the kings are still there you know like vlade is still the general manager there vivek is still the owner
0: now now demarcus was not particularly happy about being traded he felt like vlade somehow misled him or whatever but you know if they're willing to come with uh, some pretty good money for demarcus you know maybe it's something and we'll see how he looks in the rest of these finals uh but you know something along the lines of like the offer that jabari parker had this year would be one that. Uh, might make some sense. A twenty million with a second-year team option uh, for twenty million. Um, somebody,
1: somebody else that I would really like there, and similar age to Demarcus Cousins, though they've had very different paths in the NBA, is Dwayne Dedmon. Yeah. I think Dedmon would be a natural fit. He doesn't have the same pedigree, so maybe Dedman can you can get him at a lower price tag. I, I think Dedmon is a, is a talented player could fit in really well with what Sacramento wants to do there. So I think they should seriously consider him. And then uh, yeah. there are also a lot of like more value centers. This is a flush market in terms terms of the fringe starter backup type of guy like New Orleans Noel I'm sure thinks of himself as you know as a starter given the money that he turned down from Dallas a little while back and so maybe they could find something there and then you could use basically every team can use more wings they could concentrate their money there or taking on bad contracts there are a lot of other things Sacramento could do if they think either the best centers say no or they think they can do better using their money somewhere else and then bargain hunting a little bit more at five especially when they have more financial flexibility so maybe they could offer some some of those guys a little bit more than the other teams are are, are bidding
0: I've got a name to watch for you we've been talking about how Kavon Looney's market would as a backup center might be in the three to five million range Uh, Ethan Strauss did a a survey of media members and executives who who concluded that as well but given Vivek's fetishization of Warriors I could see Kavon Looney being brought in uh, on a bigger deal than that and maybe he plays some four and some five his fit next to bagley would be interesting yeah i mean i think he can play he can rebound move his feet pretty well a developing shooter still only 23 and he is unrestricted so that's i think more just due to the warriors connection than it being an amazing fit that would be something to watch there
1: uh wait can i bring up a quick a quick short story because it's funny because both both guys are both guys are options theoretically for sacramento so in the in the media scrum i think it was, was in the second or third round Jordan Bell was asked like what can you learn what what can a young guy like you learn from Kevon Looney and Jordan Bell turns to the questioner and says Kevon's younger than I am and that's true <laughs> like Kevon like Looney is younger than Jordan Bell Jordan Bell played a lot much longer at Oregon than Looney did at UCLA and I just thought it was I thought it was hilarious and I haven't had the chance to bring it up anywhere so Jordan Bell oh, yeah, another option good. another option for the Sacramento Kings
0: yeah possibly although again the the lack of shooting I mean I really think you need Bagley as such a difficult fit at power forward that i really think that you need that's why i think he's a five shooting at that position yeah well and i don't know if he is yet and and uh it seems like devots is very focused on trying to get better for this year someone else i think they might look at would be taj gibson play him Mm -hmm. as a center Uh, that could be an interesting one you know more conventional stretch four option uh, but presumably barnes uh, can play there i'm uh but they don't really have anyone else like him under contract Oh no they got beita never mind so no yeah search four is not an eaten uh I, I, maybe I was just was thinking peita should still be on Philly. <laughs>
1: or that Utah yeah. offered him the mid level which they it seems like they did not yeah uh yeah so so B-Elita
0: obviously you know and where he fits in with Barnes is another interesting question where he fits in with Bagley and Giles I, i would imagine vucevic is, is going to be their guy and i think he can make them a lot better you know are is he going to be a guy who's going to get them into the second round of the now playoffs? now probably here's not.
1: a fun question does that become the sacramento leverages again is that vuce oh very trying-
0: very well yeah very yeah. well good i mean now if i were I, I don't know what level of audacity jeff weltman and john hammond have in orlando i i still think they should probably just let vuce go if it's going to be this enormous deal that probably wouldn't be a trade asset and continue to try and build but I you know I don't think that's going to be realistic for them but maybe if the the crazy offer comes for Vuce at 28 coming off a a career year and if you were Vlade Divac like what kind of a contract would you be offering for Vucevic
1: I think I'm more I'm more cognizant than Vlade is of the potential overrating of of Vuce he had a great year no knocking that I am I'm regretting how high I had him in the center rankings but some of that is he faced exactly the wrong guy in Marc Gasol in the playoffs but it was a reminder of, of Vooch's limitations. I would be more on the solid starter part, which is more in the 18 to $20 million range than going far above that. But I'm guessing Vooch is hoping and expecting for more than
0: yeah no and and that's not going to get him away from orlando i mean you you would you would probably have to go something along the lines like 25 million a year i think to to even get the conversation started above what he's going to get in orlando um the three could also be a thought here i mean we've joked about it but it still wouldn't shock me to see the make it offer for boyan bogdanovich to have both Bogdanoviches on the same team
1: he makes sense with their personnel which is what makes it so much better
0: it's grant napier worst nightmare.
1: <laughs> it's a lot of our worst nightmares. I mean, if, theoretically if we are doing Kings games for the NBA cast, it could be yours as well.
0: No, I just say boyan and Bogdan. Yeah. But that's also I a, never a, way, a way a way into
1: thing. into something else that I want to talk about, maybe not in a ton of depth with the Kings, is that they have two interesting extension negotiations and it's illuminating in terms of the difference in extension negotiations between rookie scale and non-rookie scale. So, the term that's used is generally veteran extensions, but Bogdan Bogdanovich is was on his first NBA contract like that's the contract he's on right now he will be extension eligible on the second anniversary I can't remember exactly which day he signed I assume it was in July and he is limited due to due to the veteran extension rules to a 20% raise off of the 8.5 million he'll make next year so that's about 10 million I think it's 10.2 if we're gonna be exact and De'Aaron Fox or sorry not De'Aaron Fox buddy he healed who is uh, he was rookie scale, you know, not drafted by the Kings, but acquired uh, in the Pelicans and the Cousins trade. He has a $14.6 million cap hold, but they can sign him to whatever number the two sides agree to. Like that's that's the benefit of the rookie scale contract. So those will be fascinating negotiations that could be shifted and colored by what Sacramento does this summer. Because if they don't spend a lot of long-term money this year, Sacramento could have some real could have some real heft next year in an off season when not that many teams will. It's going to be a, a weak free agent class, but there's still a lot of things in terms of trades and everything else that they could do. But if they get Vooch, if they spend their money some other way, then the opportunity cost of signing Heald especially goes down significantly
0: yeah i think there's gonna be a lot of money out there next summer despite the fact that teams are going to try and shift more money into the summer i, I think we, we could still see uh, a lot of teams with a lot of space just with those sour 16s finally coming off the books uh, unless they get stretched but i don't think I, every team is going to do that um yeah but Donovich, i don't know if what they can offer him would be enough even if they offer him the most that they can uh you know i think of him as a solid starter so i, I think you know i would if i were him i would want you know 14 15 million a year maybe that's unrealistic i might be higher on him the, than some um well, and, and, he, and it's yeah. worth
1: noting that he'll he'll next summer he will be 27 so that's that's older you know first time free agent so he's gonna be looking for like his big contract and that lowers the yeah. incentive for an extension because he's that's gonna be a shot
0: uh i think they also have needs at the three you know some of the usual suspects that maybe not a starter but someone else to come in and, and play the three off the bench you know your damari Carrolls, your james en- james ennis your trevor ariza possibly uh could be a look certainly you would think if chris middleton needed yet another leverage point they would be in the market uh, for someone like him and then backup point guard Dave Yeager wasn't a fan of Yogi Ferrell I think he's fine at that position Uh, they have Ferrell as a non-guarantee for 3.2 million next year and that guarantees on July 4th they have to make a relatively early decision on him if they keep him that would eat into some of these figures that that I was talking about I have the projected to move on from him just because it seems like the organization is not as into him but but we'll see I think he's a decent backup point guard solution they also have Frank Mason who's on a 1.6 million dollar non-guarantee for next year those are the two uh, non-guarantees that they have to make decisions on and on the backup point guard market doesn't look amazing you know I'm not sure who they might get unless they really want to shell out for one of the quote-unquote premium solutions uh, at that position you know maybe a return for Darren Collison it could be in order if they really want to spend a lot of money there but I mean you've got De'Aaron Fox I think like, I would probably just hold on to Farrell and, and Mason and just kind of be done with it at, at that point. But they have plenty of space and maybe uh, on a big one-year deal, if they run out of it, I'm guessing George Hill doesn't want to go back there. <laughs> uh, and they, they probably need someone at that position who can shoot pretty well. That's why I like Farrell there. Uh, if you, you're Corey Joseph type, it doesn't work as well for me because especially if you're playing uh, Giles and Bagley together, someone in the second unit, like you really need a shooter at, I, at the one position.
1: I was cracking up because so many of the potential backup play card options have already played for the sacramento kings
0: yeah no it's great isaiah george hill too.
1: seth curry rondo and then like i I, w- I had to check to see if Ish Smith had he has not if he could add another one to his bingo card but yeah i mean that's and whether or not that, that for a lot of those guys i don't think that matters a ton you know if sacramento offers more money or a better role you take it and yeah i would bring yogi Farrell back and i don't think the opportunity cost of you know clear that that three million especially when it gets replaced with a. A minimum hold, which I believe that it would be based on the the current structure, not that big of a deal for them. Anything else you think we should discuss with Sacramento?
0: I mean, I suppose there's a possibility they might go the salary dump route. They might go the keep the cap space open into the season route. They did, they were able to get Harrison Barnes uh, that way. I, I do think there still will be teams trying to reduce the tax bill, and um, they've never, as we said, been able to get very efficient contracts in the free agent market. So I could see that. Them, you know maybe making one signing you know if, if they miss out on Vooch or you know maybe if they sign a center who's a little bit lower down you know in the 10 to 15 million dollar year range you could see them keeping 10 or 15 million in space open and between them and the hawks you know going into the season is the only team with just straight up cap space that can put you in a good position and they're able to get someone into their program like barnes who they like I, you know again it, your mileage may vary on him but i still think given where they are in terms of spending their free agent dollars that actually getting getting him if he even if he opts into that 25 million is at a position that's really hard to fill and he provides competent play there so uh, even have to go 25 million at least you're not going you know because if you're in free agency and you really want to get a guy like him you got to go out four years and it, it's a little more difficult so
1: yeah well, maybe well, that's, I, that's a yeah. brief thing i want to mention is yeah for both of our perspectives knowing what we know right now if if you were sacramento would you if you were the gm right now so you don't have to play play as Vlade, would you rather have Barnes opt-in?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can always... You can always just sign him after this year too, if if things really go well and he and he wants to stay. uh You know, I think him having a really good market and playing really well is a because it's not like oh man, thank God we're gonna get uh, the risk of, of giving him you know four years eighty million instead of the one year twenty five. I think is higher, so I I would probably want to just because maybe it just turns out he can't play the three anymore and you know, he's he's twenty seven already now. I'd rather just see how he does this year, see, get let him get a full season with this group, see how. Bagley develops if we're thinking of Bagley if he can play the five then Barnes to me has a lot more value to you if you're really going to just have to play him at the four due to his defense being so bad then Barnes is less valuable so I'm always happy to get more information and then if you want to pay him after that you you still have the option to do so now if he wants to take 15 million a year for four years then okay sure but it doesn't seem when you're making 25 this year that's probably an unrealistic reduction even if you know 15 million a year might be more of his actual market going forward anything else on these guys?
1: No, I, I think that's about it. I'll also mention it came up during the news section, but my piece on J.R. Smith and partially guaranteed contracts is, is worth your time. That's at The Athletic. And I'll have a real Jam radio out. It looks like tentatively that it'll be out on Thursday during the day, so you can listen to that whenever. Oh,
0: oh uh, there has been clamoring from the Twitterverse to discuss the media basketball game, the Metro Media Jam uh, from last night. To, do you have any thoughts on uh, so, some of the participants' uh, performances? Well, hold on on. Let me let me just catch my breath first. I'm, I'm a little tired have to I have to discuss. Oh, uh,
1: did you did you just get across half court? Um, <laughs> yeah. It, first of all, the event was I was shocked at the production level. Like it, it, it was funny because like we've been you know around the mix because I mean Chris Haynes was putting a lot of it together and it was happened not too far from us. And like when I got in there and saw the like the these kind of the sky cam equivalent on on this giant rig, I was sitting there like like holy crap this actually And then I saw the graphics and I. I did the broadcast for the last game, and I was like, oh, wait, we have graphics. And so at one point there was somebody like pointing to the screen saying, oh, we can talk about this. And having the score on the screen was extremely useful. Yeah, it, w- it was great. And I-, I wasn't surprised that Drew Schiller's team won when I saw the rosters, because Schiller is, you know, he walked on at Stanford, he played in games at Stanford, and is legit good, like I've seen him play before. And I thought Lee Ellis did a really good job. I picked Ellis as my MVP. I thought I thought you did well, and defensively, I, I, w- I was pleased that you did the you kind of did the conserving energy approach of like using your force more on defense and then coming in periodically and offense you're a good offensive player i played with you before but if you had to choose where your you know comparative impact well, can be made it, uh, also with
0: the, so, some of the players on my team i i felt there wasn't once they like took off with the ball and i outleted it i knew that they would be shooting it before i could even get down there so there <laughs> That's i was, 100% I was true. probably <laughs> i was probably better off saving my extremely limited store of energy for just staying back and and also because uh certain players on our team weren't really prioritizing getting back on defense either (laughs) so i figured if i could just stay back there i I was probably better off on any fast break
1: so so i have a general i have a general manager question for you how did it work so one of the things that i thought actually saved the tournament was that there became more loose substitution like rules because basically every team started with five people and it was a and it was a 15 minute running clock and so I, i was worried that people were gonna like keel over and die like i was legitimately legitimately uh, yeah. scared that people are going to do that so did you like it when they add, so basically players from in eliminated teams became added available to add on to still playing teams was that just kind of organic just like hey do you want to play for us or was it was there any sort of structure yeah
0: no i i, I did some recruitment because the so a, a few things number i'll just give you guys some, some overall background I, I, I knew that we needed so, some subs uh i'm 39 years old i'm about 20 pounds overweight right now and i haven't played in a full court competitive basketball game in over two years due to like various injuries really preventing me from getting out there i've done like all this work i like go see this specialist who does like art so i like stop pulling muscles like get rid of all the adhesions i finally felt like i had like really bad knee tendonitis so this format number one it was like 85 degrees in there It was 95 degrees outside and the gym had like a bunch of fans but it doesn't have air conditioning the format for those who didn't see it and i can't imagine why you wouldn't have been watching it live and obsessing uh, over every detail was 15 minute running clock but every free throw you only would shoot one and it counted as two and if you got an and one it just counted for three points you didn't have to shoot the free throw and we had uh, no subs in the first game so it was like just playing 15 minutes basically of like hard basketball and and of course everyone is like going pretty hard too because like it's being live streamed and people like get competitive and stuff i mean hard based on their their capabilities so everyone and i probably most prominently among them was just like absolutely sucking wind i mean i I like wore out the tops of my knees just by from the weight i was putting on them with my hands like (laughs) bent over trying trying to catch my breath uh so that was uh it was difficult i mean there's that like the guys who play regularly you could tell like definitely had like a a big advantage but after that first game which we won somehow barely and you know for like the 10 plays a game that we're actually able to try where we look pretty good uh i was like all right we got to get some subs in here or it's just gonna be like a disaster and I, we we're able to play a lot better i think uh me in particular by actually getting some subs for uh the last two games but uh who, who uh any aspects of anyone's game stand out to you at, at all
1: it didn't surprise me necessarily but lee ellis was a very diligent rebounder and i thought that made a he's, difference yeah. for his team he plays he's, so, car-
0: he's like you know I, I played with him once before he's like J, the like pickup version of jerry west he like likes to take like a couple of hard dribbles and pull up and like you know pretty competitive plays bigger than his size
1: if i had known that schiller was a, like if i hadn't played played or seen him play i can't remember if i played with him or if i saw him play before would've, It would it would have been more surprising but yeah he can he can legit play um i hadn't seen black trey it's weird i just called him trey Like i hadn't seen him play before but he's like he played he did well i was impressed with that and then there was one guy whose name i didn't know he was number one on i, I don't remember the team names anymore because that's all out of my brain now who was who was quite good he was on the team that victimized tom haberstroh's team i, I wish i remember his name he was he was legit
0: yeah I, he was uh he was scoring over me at at the rim. Uh, oh yeah you played them in, in the that, second game that that's semifinal. right final yeah um
1: well i was very yeah, happy well, for, well, i was happy yeah. really happy for haynes that he struggled in the first game when his team was eliminated and then he subbed in on the team that
0: he he subbed uh, himself in as the tournament organizer he's like i'm gonna play again which was uh and, and no did, one asked and, him to do that
1: and did significant <laughs> and did significantly better so i was really happy for chris i mean well, it, was, it was such a cool event and to have to have him yeah. do better on the yeah, oh we're team.
0: also playing with nba threes by the way which was uh outside of the range of many of the, the well yeah
1: i i had uh, heard that it was going to be college threes which would have been more manageable for a couple different people but yeah the nba three line is is out there i mean i've, I've shot a yeah. little bit on it it's tough
0: uh so there has to be something in the water in fresno because like chris uh, uh, and his buddy who does the pod with him who we picked up who we desperately needed due to like the amount of energy that he provided but to just come down and take contested long twos every single time like that's just like like i don't know what it is uh, about that town that that there's just something that you you want to do that uh they're not uh they're more scorers than passers (laughs) i would say uh yeah so uh, drew was really good he was rightfully uh the mvp there weren't any major injuries which uh, i I thought it was uh an upset.
1: Yeah, I was really thankful that Michelle Poole took a hard fall but she was okay. She played she played hard in the game. She got hit in the face twice yeah. in the first game, neither of which was called for a foul. Also, I want to shout out the ref for having insane cardio. Oh, he was cardio. so good. He was so that good. Was, like he did a
0: great job.
1: There were 7 uh, games. This, he was the only ref, 15-minute running clock and was was able to be in position for a vast majority of calls. Yeah. I periodically I periodically I periodically, I, I periodically heckled good. because I enjoy that, but I, he did an excellent job.
0: Uh, and I felt I accomplished my goals, which were get a few highlights that looked okay. Don't get injured. Win a couple of games and uh have a bunch of people talk shit about me uh on twitter and on the periscope feed which i richly deserved there are a few media members who are like oh this is live stream like i'm not gonna play i'm like dude like if you're gonna be evaluating nba players games like you gotta be able to take the criticism too right like like everyone was killing me for being exhausted i'm like hell yeah like (laughs) like absolutely and like you know the the last possession we didn't get back so i had to switch on to lee and I, i went for a steal and then he ended up hitting the game winner and i was like just too tired to go after him after I, like I got a deflection and there was a loose ball. I like, yeah absolutely kill me because i know exactly what i'm supposed to be doing i'm just way too tired i couldn't move like so yes i was uh the goal it's a good motivation to get in a little better shape for next year uh and uh hopefully you didn't find this too self-aggrandizing to uh, for us to discuss we had a lot of questions about it yeah obviously we put it at we, the end we, so you skip. i don't think you can
1: i don't think you can overstate how many times i was asked to talk about this i people wanted me to do player grades for this and i i said <laughs> i said if somebody would pay me to do it i would have done that but it was it was fun and if uh, so i i cracked up so as i was telling, like, you know i i i've had some knee stuff and so i thought it was irresponsible to play and so like my cardio is on the level and i'm just i just can't move very well and so yesterday i was feeling good and i'm like son of a bitch i should have played and then i woke up i didn't play yesterday i woke up and it felt like somebody took a baseball bat to my knee so it was like okay that's that's why it was probably a good idea to not commit yeah. and they had Sympathy so many pains. they had so many they had so many people commit and and especially the early ones were all like legit good basketball players, and I was like, "Oh God, I don't want." My goal was to not be the worst, but also it wouldn't have been a smart idea. So next year, if if everything's up, I will. And 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 I'm in the the place where it's happening, which is another open question. But I mean, the event itself was just so much fun. Like I I I went more just for the novelty and because I had some friends that were playing and to see people because and it was it was just fantastic.
0: Yeah, but uh, people were asking me or or, like, "Oh, why why is it dunking at the start of the?" I didn't even think I was be able to play the championship game because I was like cramping up after the overtime uh
1: oh also i should note that originally of- they put up a two and they put two minutes on the sc- on the score thing for overtime and i'm like oh no someone's go- someone's gonna pass out and then they said it was sudden death and it was very thankful but it ended up being almost two minutes well, well,
0: sudden sudden death uh, takes on a different connotation yeah <laughs> uh all right, that's uh that's probably enough of that. Um I will see you in, in a couple of hours here we're recording this before the game, but uh thanks for listening. We'll be back uh on Thursday. we're gonna talk about Darius Garland, a very interesting prospect then, so we will uh talk to you then.